You're listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider. Uh, that was before my time, and I think it was a little bit before your time. Brandon Jaggers. To me, best uh, Belmont Stakes of all time. Uh, sure. I mean, you didn't introduce me, so you might want to do that real quick. And me, CC Broadus. Oh, shit. Hold on. Let's <laughs> start up. Here we go. Sorry. The Auxiliary Gate. Big problem. Welcome to the latest edition of the Auxiliary Gate Podcast. Didn't have enough time to research what number this was, but, <laughs> but that was the uh, the chortle of effervescent. No, you're not effervescent anymore. No. Grizzled. Grizzled, grizzled. I like that. The grizzled auto worker himself, Alan Schneider. How are we doing? You know, I got... Uh, speaking of auto workers, I do work in an office now. It's kind of, it's not really my thing. Um, but I left my uh, readers at, at work. I'm now wearing my wife's reading glasses to get this done. So that you can imagine, that's why we do this thing in audio, right? So you ain't got to see this, this garbage, but you know, life of a gigolo, right? <laughs> that you are. Well, speaking of gigolos, <laughs> the, the third leg of our broadcasting barstool, Brandon Jaggers, fresh. Off his trip to Elmont, New York. Brandon, how you doing? Oh, great. Uh, had a fantastic Belmont uh, week. Uh, didn't cash a bet on Friday and cashed very little on Saturday. And I did not pick the Belmont winner. Uh, shame on me. Um, but we went to Umberto's for dinner, uh, and it was fantastic. We had a lot of. Uh, trainers such as the Bradcocks barn in there. Really? And had a great time. By the time I made it back to the hotel, it was like 1130 at night. It was made for a long day. Because to go eight miles anywhere in New York takes you over an hour. So it's fun. Uh, how much was a beer up at uh, Elmont, New York, for instance? Uh, how much was it at the Belmont this? Warm or cold, it came out at $17 a piece. Oh, my so, God. Uh, seventeen for a domestic beer for just a regular Miller Lite. Yep, and you know they just weren't well prepared. I may have cut in line and bought people's beers just so I can have a beer because I wasn't <laughs> going to wait in line. Now that's and, a rich man. That's a rich man, folks. And very impatient, very impatient <laughs> man, rich. But uh, and then what else happened? Oh yeah, it was fiftieth anniversary of Secretariat, so I got some commemorative gear for the podcast. I'll probably just wear it because uh, I bought my size only, but okay. it was awesome and uh, super overpriced. <laughs> I would probably guess that. Real quick, let's dig into this Belmont. Now, the second year in a row, an obscure trainer has won a triple crown race. Last year, Eric Reed won the Derby with Rich Strike, and this year, Jenna Antonucci <laughs> with Arch excuse me, Archangelo wins the Belmont, roughly six or seven to one, as I recall. And a uh, very nice horse. So we, we talked about this horse on our podcast last week with Jessica Tugwell, and that's the horse that she liked the most. My biggest concern was coming off the, uh, the giant effort in the Peter Pan. Would, would he react 
to the big effort? And the answer was a resounding no. Mm-hmm. So, uh, uh, it's no secret this podcast loves it when the, when the little guy makes, makes it big. And, uh, that's what Jenna Antonucci has done. And, and I've seen her do all kinds of interviews uh, a couple of days later and, and she's, She's done a fine job at that. So, yeah, I was very, very happy that she's won the Belmont. Yeah, and you yeah. forget Gustavo Delgado won the Derby, right? So you're – we're talking – yeah, yeah, so we're talking two-thirds of the Triple Crown went to um, people with their only – their first starters. In, well, I think Gustavo may have had a horse in the past. I don't recall off the top of my head. Yeah, he, but, he's had a great – he had Bodie Express in, in yeah. the Preakness, and then he, he, he came here and won the Clark with that horse uh, yeah, a year later. But he had not been in the Derby before. So that was his first Derby starter, I believe. That was Jenny's yeah. first Derby starter. It was Eric Reed's first Derby starter last year. So, you know, as, as I've made mention that uh, Pletcher and uh, Brad Cox, and we're, we, we like both those guys. Brad Cox is a wonderful guy. I mean, they had they entered 12 horses total out of 29 in, in the Derby in the Belmont. They had 12 of the 29 entered. They got zero wins. Jenna and Gustavo Delgado, both entered one. They both got wins. Uh, that's not to say that one's right, one's wrong, but it is good to see the smaller guy, or the smaller girl in this case, smaller uh, woman win, because her reaction was priceless. It's been all over. One of the positive things about social media is watching her reaction after the race. I think we'd all agree with that. Uh, it was cool. Jessica, again, Jessica Tugwell, as soon as she got on the pod last week, she said it's Archangelo. She's right. And uh, so a big women's day, so to speak. So. But that horse no. is the best. No, no question, the best. There's some weird trips in the race, I think. And I think you gave Forte a little bit of credit for passing horses late to get up for a second. But that that was Jenna's race. Yeah, I thought Javier gave a heck of a ride, and you could tell. I mean, at the halfway point of the race, that through a half mile, that he was in the pocket, sitting the trip. Horse was loaded, and you watch the replay. I mean, and and here again, Javier's like back on the scene, being mm-hmm. a great. Jock may have fallen off. I don't know where the heck he's been for the past couple of years. Maybe suspended, hurt, something. I don't know. But now he's like one, two of the three triple crowns and uh, just doing fantastic and uh, big, big props to him. Good for him. Uh, Brandon, who was more loaded at post time? Uh, Archangelo or you? I'd say this time, myself, with a little mixture of being tired from the night before. So it was really pretty good. Really, 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 really good. Plus, the post time was 7 p.m. And when you get, when we stay on the east, east coast, uh, the sun rises at 5 a.m. Kind of tough, huh? Yeah. A little too late. I don't like these late post times for the Triple Crown races myself. Too late. Very late. It just makes for a long day, man. When they start at 11, or Derby Day, they start at what? 11? 10.30. 10.30. Yeah. It's just too much. Too much racing. By that time, I, we've usually gone out to dinner or we went out to done something. I've watched some races early, and I'm usually watching uh, the Belmont from a from a restaurant or something. Uh, I watched the Preakness, I think, from uh, Aspen Creek. Uh, it's just, you know, it's like, yeah, I enjoy everything, but, okay, now it's time to get out and go live life a little bit or whatever. So I, I can understand your point there. Uh, last point before we get to our guest, Archangelo, son of Arrogate, and the third dam of this horse was better than honor. Better than honor, as we pointed out on our podcast last week, produced two Belmont winners, Jazzle and uh, Rags to Riches, the Philly. And better than honor is the third dam of Archangelo. But this is the type of horse. This is almost a miracle. This horse, uh, they gave, what, 35000 for him? Correct. At 
Mm-hmm. And but you know they they did the X-rays on the horse and and I assume that, that he physically he looked like a monster, but he had a chip on his ankle and some type of flake maybe. And it was, I mean it's one of those one of those deals where the, those types that you, you just stay away from them because you just don't know what you're getting into. You know, is the horse going to require surgery or or is the horse going to be able to run at all? But uh, the the connections here bought the horse and and. And two years later, here we are, and the horse is a classic winner. Probably going to be a, a stallion prospect and, and, and has a bright future. So kudos to those guys for taking the risk and, and giving the horse to Jenna Antonucci and giving her a chance. And I mean, is, this is a great story all around. Uh, it's a good story at a time when the, the racing scene could use a use a bit of a, a good story, positive vibe, right? So a lot of winners in this, a lot of winners, big and small, with this outcome. All right. We're going to get to our guest later on. We'd be remiss if we didn't cover what happened at Ellis Park over the weekend too. Big, big race yeah. at Ellis. Maybe the perhaps the, the biggest race uh, that Ellis has ever uh, held in its uh, long history. But uh, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But first, let's get to our special guest. All right, tonight uh, we welcome back our friend, podcast friend, real life friend, Kentucky Senate Majority Leader Damon Thayer. Uh, times they are a changing here in the bluegrass with the legalization of sports gambling. And, uh, suffice it to say, Senator Thayer had an extremely large role in that, getting that accomplished. Uh, he's here to discuss how all that went down and more. Uh, so with further, without further ado, Senator Thayer, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me back on your podcast. There's plenty to talk about. Actually, you know what? There, there really, really is. But before we get to anything, as I mentioned, you are the Senate Majority Leader, your senator here in the state of Kentucky. And I, and I realize being a state senator, it's a great honor, right? Uh, but we we tend to wonder if it, if it really stacks up with the honor of sharing the same first name as the Auxiliary Gate Podcast co-favorite horse, Damon's Mound. Is that is that a true honor? <laughs> People have asked me. If uh, the horse was named after me, of course the answer is no. I think it's he's named for a a physical location in Texas or something, and I I don't even know the owners. He is a cool horse, had a good two year old career. We're you know kind of waiting for him to to launch here as a three year old. He had a, he had a good second the other day, so maybe maybe Michelle Lovell, who's one of my favorite trainers, has got him back on the beam. Yeah, to say that, that she's one of our fa- favorite trainers would be an understatement. We make we make it a point to always get her name in the podcast somehow. And thank you for allowing me that opportunity, there, Senator. I'm here to help. <laughs> True politician. Um, anyway, before we get too deep into this, uh, one thing I want to discuss is you just recently came back from I would consider a mammoth dream trip for what we would consider a mammoth dream trip uh, overseas, a little transcontinental. Uh, horse racing expeditions. Um, before we get in, has the jet lag from that trip worn off yet? Because uh, it was one enviable daily double to say the uh, to say the least across the pond. Uh, honestly, the jet lag hasn't worn off yet. It's really kind of kicking my behind, but it's totally worth it. Uh, it was a dream trip. It's something I've dreamt of, you know, since I was a kid reading Dick Francis novels. Uh, I took my girlfriend and my two adult children and two of their friends to Ireland for a week. Uh, I attended uh, two days at the Curra, which is basically Ireland's version of Churchill Downs. 
uh, attended the 1,000 guineas, the 2,000 guineas, and the Group 1 Tattersall's Gold Cup. Really awesome. Um, went to the races at a small local track called Tipperary. And also I had the tremendous honor and privilege of getting to see the Stallions at Coolmore Stud. Wow. And an absolute bucket list. Uh, I got to visit Valley Doyle um, and hang out with Aiden O'Brien while he trained a couple of sets of some of the most well-bred horses in the world. And then at the end of that week, my girlfriend and I flew over to London and we, we did the, the Oaks Derby, Oaks Derby, double, double. <laughs> at the Kentucky Oaks and Kentucky Derby this year, we attended the Epsom Oaks, Oaks that Friday and the 244th running of the Epsom Derby, as they say. And we were so fortunate. I think we saw a real superstar in August Rodan. Yes. And I, I, I got to be honest, guys, I'm, I'm a horrible handicapper, but I've been following this horse since he was a two-year-old, and I started planning this trip when he won the Doncaster for Charity last October. I said to myself, wow, this horse is a big deal, and I think he could win the Derby. And I'm huge fans of the Coolmore operation, Aiden O'Brien, Ryan Moore, elite world jockey. So I started planning the trip, and how about that? It all came together, and I got to see him win uh, a really amazing derby. And, you know, his speed figures, his time form numbers ind indicate he could be a really special horse. And uh, he came out of the race well, and I'm told they're pointing him for the Irish derby. Wow. You know, <laughs> how many people in the world can say that they went to those four races? You know what I mean? I, you might be the only one, Senator. I don't know. I saw Shannon Arvin and Will Arvin. Of course, Shannon's president of Keeneland, and Will is president of Castle and Key. And I saw them at the Oaks and Derby, and I'm assuming they may have been at the Kentucky Oaks and Derby. Uh, but there probably there probably weren't a lot of people who who did that double double. Uh, it, it was a bucket list trip, just the trip of a lifetime, and I'm I'm still buzzing over it and still posting pics of it on my social media. Plus, I, I did lots of other touristy things, visited the Cliffs of Moher, took a tour of the Jameson Distillery in Dublin, you know, took a walking tour of, of London. Uh, it was pretty cool. Here, here's something, and you guys know I'm also a bourbon guy. Yes. We toured the Jameson Distillery in Dublin, only to learn that Irish whiskey at Jameson's is aged in used Kentucky bourbon barrels. I walked into the warehouse and stamped on the side of the barrel is Wild Turkey Distillery, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Yeah. Really? Did you tell them who you were? Did you tell them how, what that meant to you personally? Nah, I just was just another tourist. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, but uh, that does sound like a bucket list trip. It would be hard to top that, but uh, you're still young. You can still top it. I don't know how you do it, but you can still top it. I got. I, I'm working on the next thing. I, I haven't figured out where it's going to be yet, but I'm I'm working on some things. There's still some big big things I want to do in uh, England, Ireland, and France. Uh, plus, I'd, I'd really like to get to some of the tracks in Germany and Italy. Oh yeah. Well, you set the bar pretty high. But, um, for those of us who aren't as fortunate to do that, at least not yet, um, are there some unique differences between the racing over there and over here? At least for a regular patron. 
that we may be unaware of? I mean, not just the, the racing in general, but like the grandstand, the people, the food. Is there anything that's unique that stood out to you that we don't see here in the States? Yeah, a couple of things. Of course, 80% of their racing is on turf. They don't have any dirt tracks. They have synthetic tracks that they race on in the winter when the primary racing in the country is is steeplechasing. But in April, they switch over to uh, the, the big-time racing is um, on the turf uh, with the flat racing. So the big-time racing is on the turf. Some of their tracks go left-handed. Some of them go right-handed. They're undulating. Some of them are straight. Some of them crisscross and, and are figure eight. They're all very unique. I've been to, I've been to 10 tracks in England, four in Ireland, and one in France. And I never get tired of going because they're, they're so unique. Uh, and, and fans there are really serious about it. Um, they get more dressed up to go to the races than we do here. Um, the, uh, oh, and then they only race a couple days at each track because it's turf. The turf gets chewed up. Right. Um, actually, you know, the, the Royal Ascot meet that's coming up later this month is five days, Tuesday through Saturday. That's actually considered kind of a long meet. Sometimes a meet will be one day, two days, three days. Uh, and then, and then they'll move on to another track. And there's usually, well, in Ireland, there's usually only one track running a day. But in England, which is a country with ten times the population of Ireland, there may be four or five tracks going in different regions. But in the in the regions, it, it moves around. It's a movable feast. And then the other big difference is the horses are not trained on track. Uh, they're trained at training centers, and, and they're shipped uh, via uh, what they call horse box, which is, you know, a big – not not really horse trailers. They're, you know, semi-trucks or vans that have been, you know, converted for horses. Um, except for the horses that train at the Cura or at Newmarket in England, you know, they, they have to travel to race. And they usually come in the night before or even the morning of, depending how far away they are. So which did you uh, prefer, the Cura or Epsom? I think I preferred the Cura. Um, but it's it's close. I mean, Epsom, you know, 244 years of history. Um, it was, you know, there's a huge mur- mural of Frankie DeTore on the side of the grandstand. There's a newer clubhouse that when you look at it, you think you're looking at a, a cruise ship. Um, but the Cura has a brand new grandstand uh, that's wide open and airy, and they have a they have a training center there. It's kind of like Newmarket or, or Keeneland where horses train there year round. Uh, and, and it's a big wide open plane and you can see forever. Uh, so I would say I would give the nod to the Cura over Epsom, but it's very, very close. And, you know, again, we, we share a common bond that we like a lot of the music, the same music. We're about the same age and we know that the late seventies, early eighties is like, it, it's where it's at. Right. So, with that in mind, did, did the people in Ireland, did they get a little tired of you blasting Don Henley or, or ELO when they're trying to listen to their U2? Did you try to drown out their U2 music? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I didn't I didn't play much music when I was over there. I was too busy immersing myself in horses and Irish whiskey and, uh, you know, all the other activities I told you about. But I, I, I have seen the Eagles 
in concert in both Dublin, Ireland, and London, England. As a matter of fact, last year when I was in Ireland, I met Joe Walsh in our hotel. The really? Eagles, the Eagles were staying in the same hotel as me, and I got my I took a selfie with Joe Walsh uh, when he came off the elevator in my hotel. It was pretty yeah. epic. I got to tell you, Senator, your stories are kind of laying waste to any of my stories. That's that's see the Eagles in Ireland, and that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, you got a charm life going on there, sir. Look, I I do bourbon, horses, politics, and what my kids call old people's music. Well, and that's that's something we have in common from our kids, right there. <laughs> you know, you know, some some people have you know new expensive cars i don't i have old high mileage cars some people have a country club membership i don't some people have a house on the lake or a house in florida i don't have those things and i'm you know i'm also at the point i'm 55 i'm you know my my son works for Rand paul in washington dc he's out on his own my daughter graduates from middle tennessee state uh in december she's going to be a commercial airline pilot she's probably going to make more money than all of us someday. And, um, you know, I, I'm at that point in my life where uh, I, I do the things I want to do. I believe in the mantra, live your life. And the other thing is I'm 55 and both my parents have passed away. And my mom passed away when she was 57 back in 2006. My dad died when he was 74, five years ago in this fall. And there's, there's something if something happens to you when both your parents die. Yes. And, you know, it, it, it did something to my psyche. And I just, I decided to change the way I, I, I live my life. I started a bourbon company. Um, I started my own very small uh, investment in racehorse partnerships. And I started to travel. Uh, it just, uh, you know, when you see the people who gave birth to you, uh, pass away. I, I saw my mom take her last breath. It just, it sort of reset my life. And, yes. you know, the, the old story about you got to live your life one day at a time. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm just, I'm not going to wait till I'm retired to, to do some of these things. And I'm very blessed. I'm very fortunate. And I know that, um, that I am living my best life right now, but it's a, it's been an intentional decision. And, and by the way, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm also divorced, which I don't recommend, but <laughs> I don't recommend it, but, uh, you do have, I do have a little freedom of decision-making and, uh, decisions on how to spend money that if I were still married, I probably wouldn't have. Fair but, enough. But that's all I'm going to say about that. I got you. Well, I'm I'm close to retiring from my job too, so I maybe I maybe I'll be doing the same, uh, living that same best life here pretty soon. Um, but in the meantime, well, it's something we really do need to discuss, and it's it's grabbed all the headlines this year here in the state of Kentucky, and it's something we discussed uh, back the last time we had you on, and that's that's sports wagering here in the state of Kentucky. Uh, the last time we spoke, you were working, as you have worked for several years to get that green lit here in the state. Uh, and after a long stalemate, it has finally happened. You are a big part of that. That goes without saying. What 
what changed the tide? What was the the impetus here that finally got that, that turned the tide that put uh, Kentucky on this path? You know, when I was on your podcast back in January, I really wasn't very optimistic about passing sports betting. You sold it pretty good. I know I did, but that's because I'm a PR man and politician, and it's my job to be optimistic. And and I also, you know, I like to sell hope and and the glass half full, but I, the big battle was trying to ban these gray machines. And I didn't know if we would have enough energy or bandwidth to both ban the gray machines and pass sports betting. But I thought if we could, I thought if we could space them out, we might have a chance. And man, I love it when a plan comes together because we were able to pass the gray machine ban earlier in the session and then let things calm down and make a run at sports betting. And remember I told you in January that we we have six new members in the Senate. And some, yes. of, them, some of them replaced members who were no votes. And that really helped. And we also did some polling. And as you know, Sports betting is wildly popular. Democrats, Republicans, independents, males, females. And I think some people looked at that, looked at Tennessee, Ohio, West Virginia, Indiana, and, you know, all these stories about people who live in 45 Kentucky counties that are contiguous to states that have legalized sports betting, just going over there to make their bets. We had some momentum. We had some momentum, but I did everything I could procedurally to line the thing up. And I really hoped we would pass it on the 29th day. I had it all teed up. It came out of committee with only one dissenting vote, had lots of momentum, and only two days left. But we had that 10-day break after day 28 called the veto recess, and it kind of gave people time to reset. So I really came back in on day 29 hoping to pass it. And some things went awry that that 29th day. It was very frustrating. We had a bunch of big things that kind of crashed and burned. So we went home that night pretty late, 10 o'clock at night, and I thought we were dead in the water. Got up the next morning, drove to Frankfurt, got a message from Senate President Robert Stivers for Julie Adams, you know, my running, my running buddy in the Senate mm-hmm. on, on sports betting and lots of other things. And he told us to meet him in his office. So, you know, I, I might have stretched the speed limit that morning on because <laughs> I didn't know what he was going to say. I, I didn't know if he was going to kill the bill or pass the bill. So we walked into his office and he said, I'm going to vote for sports betting. And you know, my jaw hit the ground, picked it back up, and said, okay, we're one vote short. Because remember, we needed 23 votes, which is a constitutional supermajority required during a short session to pass any bill that has a tax rate in it. And there's a tax rate for sports betting. So we didn't need just a 20-vote simple majority. We needed 23. And in the Senate, there's a big difference when you've got 38 members between 20 votes and 23 votes. Right. So I knew I had all the Democrats. I worked on them pretty hard. 
and I was working on members of my own caucus, but we were two votes short until Stivers said he was a yes vote. And he said, yes. I said, we need one more. He said, I'll get you the vote. So we go to the floor. We start passing some other bills. He walks up to me and he said, Senator Brandon Smith is going to vote for the bill. Wow. Again, my jaw hit the ground because Brandon's a good friend of mine, but he's never voted yes on a gaming bill in his <laughs> career. And I said, I said, okay, I am going to post this bill into the orders of the day so we can vote on it before anybody changes their mind. <laughs> so, by the way, also that day, we passed medical marijuana, which was another bill that's been lingering around for a long time. So we're, you know, we're passing these big bills out. So we bring up sports betting. I carry the bill on the floor. I made the pitch. We start voting. And we had two more people change from a no to a yes vote. Wow. Eight o'clock in the morning, we went from being down two votes. We, we switched four votes by four o'clock in the afternoon and passed the votes, passed the bill with two votes to spare. It was one of the greatest moments of my 20 year legislative career. I can imagine. I can imagine. Uh, well, I was just gonna, I was gonna say, is, is it the other two votes that you got? Is that they knew where the tie was turning, so they wanted to be on the positive side? Is that why they switch or they, did they just see the light in your estimation? I never want to talk about anybody's reasons for voting yes or no. I just like to talk about myself and my motivations, I suppose. Um, but, but I just think it, it, they had been worked really hard by some of their constituents back home. Yeah, yeah. Who assured, who assured them that this was the right thing to do and there wouldn't be a political price to pay back home. So when can we expect uh, that to take effect, for those that don't know? When when can we see the uh, the fruits of this labor? Okay, so all bills passed during the session become law on June 29th. That's when sports betting becomes legal, and then we gave – the Kentucky Horse Racing Commission, which will be the rulemaking body to oversee sports betting, they've got six months to implement it. Now, there's two parts. There's the retail part, which is the brick-and-mortar sports betting locations, which will can only be at racetracks or their extensions. But then there also is the online component where you can have an app on your phone and make the bet on make a sports bet on your phone. I've been in close contact with the Racing Commission. Jonathan Rabinowitz is the chairman. We're friends. He's the one Bashir appointee who I get along with really well. (laughs) And his goal is to have one or the other or both, retail and online, up by football season. Now, whether that's for the NFL, which I think starts the last week in August, or college, which starts Labor Day, to be determined. There's a lot of back of the house things that have to be done. Um, you know, if you, there's already been a deal announced between Keeneland and the Red Mile for Caesars to be uh, the sports book provider at the Red Mile. And if you go out to the Red Mile and walk around the clubhouse, they have a major renovation going on and they're going to have a sports book in the old clubhouse there. And I, the good news is, is a lot of the racetracks and track extensions already have pretty nice areas for sports books. 
The only thing that I've told them is these better be race and sports books. Mm-hmm. Any sports book I walk into, it better have TVs dedicated to horse racing, and I better be able to make a horse racing bet as well as a sports bet. Um, I guess I should say a parimutuel bet versus and a sports bet, and that might actually be in the rules promulgated by the Racing Commission. So, to answer your question, June 29th becomes legal. They've got six months to get it up and running, but they may not need that whole time. They may get it up and running by September, and we're off to the races and off to the games. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you actually phrased it in that manner because I had a – uh outside entity asked me wanted me to ask you something knowing we'd have you on and it actually fits perfectly into what you just said um is there has there been any thought and maybe it's a little too early in this in the stage to even think this but given to intertwining or coupling sports gambling and horse racing together and what i mean by that is for instance say a parlay we like we know what a parlay is but in this instance you take a parlay from a football game and take your win, you're able to take the wings from the football game and tap it into a horse race or vice versa. It seems like a great way to grow racing with the people who are the sports gaming crowd and to tie that in together. Is that a pipe dream? Is that uh, some Pollyanna thinking or could that possibly happen at some point? Or has I anybody thought of it? I think it's a great idea. Um, I, I love the idea of a parlay bet. I've never made a sports bet in my life. Uh, I've only done like five. I know what you mean. <laughs> you know, that, that that might be one way to get me to do it. I I think it'd be really cool to, you know, parlay big racing events throughout the year with whatever big sporting events going on. I think that would probably be something for the racing commission to look at doing via regulatory right. once we get this thing up and running. It's going to be a work in progress. We just need to get it up and running. And then, you know, there'll be tweaks to it, I'm sure. That is a great idea. And I'm going to talk to Chairman Rabinowitz about it the next time we talk. Yeah, I, I, to be clear, that's not my idea. But once uh, once my friend told me that, I was like, that, that is a great idea that works on a lot of different levels if the regula- regulatory aspect of it works because you, you've got a, the booming sports gaming market and the, the people worry about the horse racing side maybe taking a backseat of those people into that part don't get in the horse. I think that's a good way to maybe mesh those two together, right, and grow it. So I really like the idea. I was like, well, I've got Damon Thayer on later. It's a good time to ask him. So on that high note. (laughs) I'm a marketing guy. I mean, I started out, I worked at racetracks in Detroit, Cleveland, Maryland, Kentucky, the Breeders' Cup. I mean, my whole career is, you know, how to get people to the races. And I think, I think most horse race bettors are inclined to be sports bettors. But I think there's a whole group of sports bettors who haven't been exposed to parimutuel wagering. And I, I think the tracks want to use sports betting to try to convert a portion of those sports fans into racing fans. For example, let's say you go out to the Red Mile to with your buddies and you're going to go out maybe have a hot dog and some beers and bet on a game and watch the game, Right. Maybe it's a basketball game, two hours long. Well, there's also racing going on to give you some betting action while you're at the sports book. Mm-hmm. And, I, I, you know, that's what I'm hoping for. It's one of the reasons I was an advocate for sports betting, because I think it can help 
create new racing fans. But this is a great idea uh, to, to, to link them via a parlay bet, and I'm, I'm certainly going to suggest it. Well, I appreciate that, Senator. And uh, on that high note, I think I've burnt you a little too long here. I've got a, a couple of pretty smart dudes here that w- waiting to ask you a question. But since they're unavailable, I will send you to CC at the moment. CC? Yeah, those guys are on the way. <laughs> uh, Senator, I, I've just got a handful of questions here. I, uh, are there any projections on, on how big of an impact uh, sports wagering is going to have on, on the general fund? The Kentucky's general fund or, or, or racing. Do you have any idea what the, that could be? The estimates are that it'll generate about 26 million a year, uh, in tax revenue, but I think it'll actually be higher than that because we're a sports crazy state. And, and I think there's a good chance it'll generate more than that. However, uh, it won't go to the general fund. Uh, most of the money is going to go into the, uh, the public pension fund. Uh, for future general assemblies to use to help pay off our pension debt for our state employees and our teachers. And then a small portion of it will go into the Kentucky Problem Gaming Fund. And, and by the way, those are a couple reasons we were able to get some votes. There were some people who insisted that we put some money into problem gaming. And there were also some people who insisted that we, uh, that we put it into the pension fund, the permanent pension fund. I'm glad you brought that up about problem gaming. That was one of my questions. Uh, I I know New York has a uh, voluntary self exclusion program for for people that are, that know that they have a gambling problem and they they want to address it and they can put themselves on a list and like they're not able to place a bet online if if you know if all the ADWs and and the sports wagering apps and whatnot, if they adhere to this, or if they check off, if they check these uh, exclusion lists, then that person's not able to, to place a wager. Uh, it, it, it's a great program in New York. Is Kentucky does Kentucky have anything like that, or are they considering anything like that? No, it's, it's already the law. In last year, 2022, when we passed House Bill 607, Adam Koenig's bill that he and I worked on, setting the tax rate. Uh, at 1.5% for all paramutual bets, um, plus uh, doing the penny breakage, plus making KTDF money available in claiming races, we also created a self-exclusion list. It's already the law in Kentucky. Perfect. Okay. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah. That, that's something that probably needs to be advertised in because, yeah, that would be uh, – I think that's something that – yeah, that's something we need to address going forward because, I mean, it, it, gambling is part of the culture now. I mean, well, it always has been in Kentucky, but you know, I think it's going to be more so going forward with the, with this on the horizon. But uh, uh, Senator, uh, who has the, in your mind, who would have the the responsibility to ensure that the money that uh, being that's that's made through sports gambling and well, the other forms of revenue as well, the the HHR machines, et cetera. Who has the responsibility to ensure that that money is invested wisely into the sport, into protecting the sport in, in the industry, and and maybe helping it grow? Is that something that the, the legislature has an interest in, or is that something that maybe the uh, the horse racing commission, or who who in your mind has that responsibility? Well, it's 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 all in statute. I mean, we we 
we put in statute how much of the HHR money goes into the development funds for uh, thoroughbred, standard bred, and quarter horses now that we're going to have a quarter horse track. And, you know, those monies develop purses. There is also a promotional aspect of it. Um, so it's kind of built into the statute. We also uh, – some of the tax money uh, goes into – uh, equine drug research. You, maybe you've heard about the, the Stride Safe technology that's being tested out at Churchill Downs that came over from Australia. That was funded from a grant from the Equine Drug Research Council, and that that comes from the paramutual tax. So, you know, we're we're reinvesting in purses. We're reinvesting in research. Uh, we you, you probably saw that the Racing Commission is hiring a new state safety steward. That is money that the General Assembly appropriated. We've appropriated money for UK to do a jockey concussion protocol test. So you know, we're, we're, we're doing those things, but, you know, the, the, the tracks have a responsibility themselves to decide what they're going to do with their facilities and, and marketing efforts. And, you know, their government should only go so far in, in mandating how that money is spent. Do you think though that, uh, cause I, I, I want to see more, more, like we've had a lot of smaller outfits and trainers and, and, and breeding farms. They've kind of gone by the wayside over the last few years. And it, it, now it seems like the industry is getting more top heavy. I want to see, I want to see some of these young, or these, uh, the, these guys that have been, you know, squeezed out. I want to see them get back into the game. I mean, We've noted on this podcast in the past that Ellis Park's kind of gone through a transformation in the last few years where you get a lot of the big trainers now that stay in Kentucky that race exclusively at Ellis in the summer. And then the guys that, that, that ran the $5,000 claimers, the $10,000 claimers, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're gone with the wind now. Do you, do you see any, maybe anything on the horizon that could, to get those guys back in the game or even just salvage the, the bottom, the bottom levels of, of the game, the backbone, as I call it? Well, that's why I got legislation passed to include KTDF money in claiming races to make nice. those bigger. Uh, but, but there's, there's the other issue of the super trainers, quote unquote super trainers. You know, the guys that have a hundred, 200 or more horses in training and, you know, squeezing out the guys like Buff Bradley, who maybe had 30 or 40 horses in training. Um, David Carroll, who's now Mark Cassie's assistant. You know, you, you see these guys getting squeezed out. Um, and it, it's hard, I, but I, outside of us doing a program like they have in Hong Kong, and I, I don't see this happening here, but in Hong Kong, when a young trainer starts out, he can have, he or she can have 10 horses. And then if they prove themselves, the Hong Kong Jockey Club assigns them more horses. And then if they keep doing well, they continue to go up. It's very government top-heavy over there. A little bit too uh, big brother for me. Yeah, right. Uh, You know, this thing's just going to have to shake itself out. And, you know, owners are going to have to decide – if they want to give the small and medium horseman and woman a chance. Now, we just saw Saturday in the Belmont with Jenna Antonucci beat four middle-aged white dudes 
who are in the Hall of Fame are going to be in the Hall of Fame and, you know, get, have 150 to 200 horses in training every year. It's still proof that the little guy can win. And, you know, Rich Strike won the Kentucky Derby last year at 85 to 1. Um, it, it, it's still, you know, good horses can come from anywhere. And I, and I know the numbers show that the same 10 trainers win most of the big races. And I don't have a solution for it, but I, I'm certainly concerned. But, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a racing partnership that has a bunch of horses with Steve Asmussen. He's a great horseman. He's probably got 200 or more horses at his disposal. We've got a filly with Bill Mott. Um, you know, we, we're, we're, we've got a colt we're sending to uh, Todd Pletcher. We got a Kitten's Joy colt, colt that we're sending to Joseph O'Brien in Ireland, which is cool. Um, but, you know, it, it's certainly an issue. You know, good horses can come from anywhere, but, you know, when you're throwing the kind of numbers at it, it's harder and harder for the little guy to win. I agree with that. Okay, I've got one more question. It's probably the most important question of all, so I want you to think hard on this. Uh, as of June 14th, who is the best three-year-old in training? Mm. I've been I, I've been reading about it on Twitter today, and um, I think if you want to go, who's the most accomplished? I think you have to go with Mage, uh, second in the Florida Derby, won the Kentucky Derby, the in a disturbing trend, the only Derby runner to run in the Preakness, and he ran a good third, although he's clearly clearly tired. I think he's the most accomplished. Uh, who do I think has the most talent and might end up being the champion three-year-old? Uh, right now, I would say Arcangelo. That was really impressive what he did. Um, I don't think you can rule out Forte. He's very talented. Disarm looked good. I was there Sunday at uh, at Ellis Park. He looked good, and I know you know Ron Winchell has a has very high hopes for him. Um, it's 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 a very exciting uh, second half of the season. We're looking forward to. But the Haskell, the Travers, and the Pennsylvania Derby, you know, all coming up before these three-year-olds meet what appears outside of Cody's wish to be a, a weak crop of older horses. All right. Perfect answers. Uh, uh, Brandon, take it away. Yeah, well, that, the if you were there at Ellis on Sunday, you know, my question is, is, you know, what do you think about that decision, you know, ending the Churchill Downs meet early and transitioning over to Ellis. What 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 is your take on that? I wish it hadn't happened. Uh, there really was no logistical reason to do it. The track at Churchill Downs is fine. There's nothing wrong. I've talked to owners, trainers, jockeys, you name it. There's nothing. Racing commission. There's nothing wrong. However. I commend Churchill Downs for a decision that's cost them a lot of money uh, to, to move the meat, uh, to take the heat off the industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, get, I get that. Certainly, you know, it takes the heat off of them, and they've got a brand to protect and the 150th Kentucky Derby to protect, but it takes the heat off the industry as well. 
and and I, I commend them. You know, their their stock took a hit. They've got to return millions of dollars in ticket sales or you know, do do refunds or offer offer people free tickets for the September or the fall meet. So it's it's not ideal. Uh, it's not ideal. That's for sure. And I wish it hadn't have happened. But I commend Churchill Downs for the right decision. And we're also really lucky that they bought Ellis Park so they could pick that meet up and move it down there. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, you know, my last to conclude, you know, I've been to Ellis a couple times. I've had horses raced at Ellis. Uh, What would your take uh, for opening weekend at Ellis? Well, I walked in on Sunday, and the first thing that happened is the electricity went out. (laughs) (laughs) The, The guys down there, they were like, good job, Fair. You walk in, and the electricity goes off. Uh, it was a substation, so, you know, everything in the area went out. There was a big storm that rolled through. Uh, I love Ellis Park. Amen. I'm, I, you know, I'll go down there several times this summer. Uh, I may not go to the Arlington Million at Colonial Downs because the Ellis Park Derby is the next day, and I want to be there. Um, the Stephen Foster is going to be run there this summer. I think it's a great track. Um, it, it needs a lot of improvements, but I hope they don't tear down that grandstand. It's got good old bones, and I, I hope that they just fix it up and freshen it up. And, you know, they've committed that they're going to spend a lot of money to fix it up, and I think we got to give them time to see what they've got and, and you know, put their, their touches on it. I love the place. And, you know, Steve Asmussen has told us it's the best training surface in Kentucky. Really? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. So I'll be down. Like I went down this weekend. We had a horse in, and I wanted to show my support. And you know, I'll be I'll be back down. We've got a we've got a two year old running there this week. We've got a good filly running there on Sunday. So uh, you know, I'm in I'm in the CJ Thoroughbreds partnership. So um, we've got a lot of two year olds coming up that we hope to see running at Ellis Park. And I think we should all support it and support Churchill Downs uh, for doing doing the right thing. But it was a tough thing to do. No, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for your input. And I'll turn it back to Alan to close us out or CC. Yeah, I got a couple more questions for you, Damon, and we'll let you go. But they're pretty they're fairly important questions. Um, number one, it kind of goes back to something CC was uh, roundabout alluding to or whatever. Uh, Kentucky's big purse structure here. It, Kentucky's horse racing, despite the recent issues, is on pretty solid footing. I think we could all agree at that. But, you know, we'd also agree that there's been a couple of bumps in the road of late, right? Um, one of those that's been a kind of an offshoot of all that because of Kentucky's big struck, purse structure is, uh, cl- the claiming game. We've had a lot of, uh, out of town outfits coming in and claiming horses and then taking them out of state, right? And it happened at Churchill a lot, but while they were open, I expected it to happen at Ellis too. I mean, they have every right to do that, right? That's, uh, but it does deplete our horse population in an era where horse population isn't the greatest overall. Is, is there any idea how we can curb people coming in and claiming our horses and taking them to other states? Or is that just, it's, they're just playing by the rules and they're just, a, they're just towing that line. So it's, it's a big problem. And I've spent a lot of time talking to Churchill Downs about it and the racing commission. And you know, we're a little bit of a victim of our own success. Right. Exactly. 
you know, the, the, the racing is really good here. I, I had a horse with Joe Christofek and the Brilliant Racing Partnership named Steely Danza. I know the horse will. And they, they claimed him from us for $16,000, and he hasn't stepped foot in Kentucky ever since. He was on a van to Parks that night. The other day, he galloped by 12 lengths in a Parks allowance race. Parks are Monmouth. But, you know, you can you can claim a horse for 16 or 20 here, and they can go up there and, 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 and run in, in uh, 25,000, even allowance races like Steely Danza. And the, the problem is you got guys like Jamie Ness and Linda Rice, gals like mm. Linda Rice. They've got a guy here who they pay $500 to claim horses and put them on a van. Really? I, I knew they did. I didn't know the inner workings of it. So go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt, but that's kind of fascinating. 100%. they got a guy here claiming these horses, and the, the we're, we're trying to get a, our hands around it because if you – if you force if you force them to run that horse back at a Kentucky track, you run into some constitutional issues. Yes. Um, there's a guy named Jerry Jamgachian who sued and won over it several years ago. He has horses with Eric Reed. Eric Reed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's a problem because so you get these claiming races and there's a five or six or eight way shake. <clears throat> Everybody wants the horses. And so our claiming races, the fields are a little short because if you're one of these small guys with five or 10 or 15 or 20 horses, you run your horse in a claiming race, he's probably going to get claimed, but you don't know that you're going to be able to claim a horse to replace him. Because, you know, okay, you lose him, then you try to claim something to replace him, and you, it might take three or four or five or six shakes before you can, you can get a, a horse. And it may not be the one you really wanted, right? You know you're going to lose the one, and then it's, you know, it may be seven more tries before you get the, get a horse, and it may not be the one you initially really wanted. You just need somebody to fill that stall. Yep, and it's a it's a big issue, uh, and you know the the tracks are aware of it, the, the racing commission is aware of it. They're trying to come up with some sort of solution, but in a free market interstate commerce industry. You have to be careful of the constitutional yes. questions. Agreed. Agreed. I get it. I get the double-edged sword there. But it is something I'm glad to know that it is being addressed and being looked at because it, it is an issue here for a wide variety of reasons and stuff. So want to make sure we got your thoughts on that. And, you know, we'll say maybe the best one for the last or whatever in that I want to get your thoughts on what is probably one of the more prototypical loaded questions we could ask uh, a politician in the state of Kentucky who does care about horse racing. Do you have any thoughts on Hisa? Oh yeah, Hisa, Hisa, Hisa. <laughs> yeah, and actually, if, if nothing else, if you can tell us exactly how to say it, because we never know—is it Hisa? Is it Hisa? Is it Gif? Is it Jif? Like on the, you know, uh, Hisa, Hisa. Which one is it? I think it's Hisa. Okay. Uh, look, I'm not a big fan of federal intervention in a traditionally state-run industry, but. We have to have uniform medication rules across jurisdictions. Twelve years ago, I passed a law which would have allowed an interstate compact that Kentucky could participate in where states could join together. Unfortunately, nobody took me up on my offer. 
And Damn I told people back then, I said, look, if we don't get our act together at the state level, the federal government's going to come in. And that's exactly what happened. And so, look, one of two things is going to happen, because I don't want to spend too much time on this. I was on KET the other night. We went back and forth for an hour on it. One of two <laughs> things, HISA is either going to be found unconstitutional, and I would say the chances of that happening are less than 50%. But if it happens, then we can regroup and look at the interstate compact solution that I offered 12 years ago. And Kentucky can lead the way. If it is found constitutional, everybody's going to have to live with it. And my argument is, I think Heiser is trying to do too much too soon. I think they need to pause, reset, and relaunch, and, and just focus on the medication aspects of it. Mm-hmm. I think they're involved in too much too soon. Let's be honest, the launch of HISA a year ago was botched and now horsemen are kind of gun shy about it and they've kind of lost confidence. And so if it is found constitutional, HISA needs to be very careful about going forward with a heavy hand of a federal regulator. And I don't want them to turn into a federal regulator that's unaccountable and out of control. I would like to see them focus on one area and get that right. And, and, and that may need an amendment to the bill. And I've spoken to Leader McConnell and Congressman Barr about this, um, to no avail so far. But I would, I would like to see either a pause or an amendment that focused on uh, just the medication. I, I'm for the goals of HISA. And, yes, this new thing is going to have its starts and stops, and uh, it's going to have its problems as we implement it. And I've offered a solution as an alternative if it is found unconstitutional. I believe there's going to be a, a law, a bill, I mean, a new bill filed in Congress with much of the HISA components, but done through an interstate compact. So we're, we're going to be talking about this for the next several years. And I just want to offer some constructive criticism to HISA that they don't have a lot of confidence from the rank and file horsemen out there and probably not the fans either. And they can take some steps to fix that. Yeah. If they're found constitutional. Excellent answer. I'm glad to know that you haven't had the foresight to think ahead of time. Let's hope that, uh, let's hope this all comes together. Again, we'll, we won't spend an hour on it. Like you said, you did with KET the other day, but I, I had a pretty strong idea how you felt about it. I think I'm, what I'm not sure is you have a strong idea, but one of my last two things here real quick. Uh, Got I gotta get you with music. I got to. I got. I mean, it's just, it's just what we do, right? John Mellencamp, Huey Lewis, they're two of my favorites. I have a hard time splitting them. Give me the deciding vote between those two. They're neck and neck. Who wins the photo finish, or is it even a photo finish for you? Uh, for me, the music of John Mellencamp uh, wins by a couple of lengths. Uh, but I have seen him in concert, and he's kind of a grumpy old curmudgeon. He is now. He wasn't back in the day. You're right. I mean, he he, he won't even play most of his hit songs anymore. But um, John, John Mellencamp's song, when he was still Johnny Cougar, called I Need a Lover. Amazing. The best, the best solo guitar intro of any song that I, that I listen to on a regular basis. Boy, you, you, you nailed a lot of answers tonight, but you nailed that one. You're right on point right there. Um, 
Last thing, we just had a request. We Last time we had you on, we told you maybe Michelle Lovell gets some sort of a special state certification, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But we're going to move, we're going to go a little bit past that this time. Okay. We got, the, I think the state bird is the cardinal. We got the state song from Al Kentucky home. I think it's time maybe to bring up in the house or the Senate or whatever that we make the, in the auxiliary gate podcast, the official state podcast for Kentucky. Can we do that? <laughs> <laughs> we God. always, we always give out props to other people. Maybe it's time we got a little banner set our way. What do you think? Guys, I, I can't show favoritism, even though you guys are my favorite. Get out of here. Now you're just. We'll have you on again. Don't we ain't got to suck up like that. You know, you're a senator. <laughs> but thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Well, this has been great. Very informative. I think we touched on a lot of things, Senator. Uh, the fact that you've uh, had a great month, number one, but also a lot of other things within horse racing and sports gaming. So we appreciate having you on once again, right? So thank you so much. Thank, thanks for having me. Being on the Auxiliary Gate podcast is a little bit like the Hotel California. You can check out <laughs> on you like but you can never leave. <laughs> yeah, that's how you end it. Going out, going out with the bang. All right. Good job. Thank you, Senator. you, Senator. Thanks, guys. Okay, that was Kentucky State Senator Damon Thayer. Uh, guys, he reminds me a lot of Mike Maker. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> Maybe are you making a joke that he'd be the antithesis? Of Mike Maker, right? You no, know, likes to likes to keep his opinion to himself. <laughs> very, very reserved. Just you know, one or two word answers and stuff, right? Trains mile and a half monsters on turf. <laughs> we forgot to congratulate him on. We forgot to, uh, the center on his big wins this weekend at Belmont with Cody's Wish and uh, Elite Power. We forgot. Oh, that's right. That, that's Bill Mott. Up there. That's his doppelganger, right? He he looks like oh, Bill yeah. Mott. Yeah, right. A fun, fun person to have a conversation with. That's oh, sure. extreme. Uh, we're lucky to have him in the state of Kentucky. He he's done a lot to get the the sports oh. gaming bill passed. Yeah, he's one of those guys. He's just like, hey, Senator, tell us a story, and then just wind him up and let him go. Yep, and it let him go, but, it, but again, he's very well spoken. Obviously, he's a politician for one, but he also has the, the, the horse racing industry's uh, best uh, at heart. That, that's what he thinks about. So it's, he's he's a friend of the industry and stuff. So we appreciate having him on. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, big weekend at Ellis Park last weekend. The Matt Wynn Stakes, four hundred thousand dollars and disarm ran down verifying to win that event for three year olds. That was. Uh, uh, disarm is basically a coming out party for him. I would, I would assume, you know, he, he had just ran, was it fourth? He was fourth in the Kentucky Derby. Prior to that, he was second to Kings Barnes in the Louisiana Derby. This is, uh, this horse, it's got a future. I'm certain we'll see him at Saratoga or oh, yeah. maybe, maybe in the Haskell next. You know, verifying actually rebounded pretty well because I run second to, to disarm who's, who's primed to have a very good, uh, second half of his three-year-old season was no small feat. I thought verifying put a really good horse away in Bo Cruz. You better keep an eye on Bo Cruz down the road too, but, uh, disarm Joel got that horse up fairly close, right? And, uh, verifying got a good trip, ran a really good race and disarm still tagged him, still tagged him with a measured ride. So a uh, big effort by both. I, I would say it's a sneaky good effort by Bo Cruz. Man, it was a hell of a race to date. I'm certain that's probably the richest race ever run at Ellis Park, right? Four hundred thousand. For the time being, if they're going to eclipse that here very shortly. That's good, yeah, two. right. But then also, I'm certain that no race at Ellis Park has ever featured four Kentucky Derby starters, too. No, I mean the Gardenia <laughs> slash um, 
what they call it now, the groupie doll. It's it's the marquee race, but it only goes for like I don't know, 150, 200, 250. Even it's at its peak, I think I may be wrong about that. But it lost its grade too. It used to be a grade three that gave it some importance, but you know it's it's kind of lost its luster. Hopefully, it it's on its way to getting it back though. I'm certain. Yes, agreed, agreed. And then we got uh, Just Mike going this weekend, and who's your well, Philly? And real quick, Brandon Brandon's yep. friend one of yep. the, one of the undercard. The was it the uh, Leslie yes. Lake? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, the, the first career, uh, stakes win, listed stakes win for Riley Mott, uh, a trainer we hope to have on the podcast here soon. Riley, if you hear me, I, I've sent you an invite. So we'll, we're looking to clear schedule, but, um, uh, yeah, Unifying, uh, won, uh, very well, uh, even in the sloppy course and, and paid, I think like 1120 with Christian Torres up. Uh, that's our good friend, Ron Johnson's, uh, horse. Uh, I can't say enough about the race. I mean, the horse was game all the way and, uh, was not favored. There was a couple scratches in there because of the off track and, uh, you know, had, had some competition, but the horse, uh, prevailed and never looked back. So, uh, hats off to those guys. Uh, I wish I would have paid a different wager than I did, <laughs> but, uh, congrats to Ron Johnson, uh, Riley Mott, Christian Torres and, and the rest of the connections. If you're not aware of Christian Torres, he's a up and comer. Definitely. Uh, I think he may have been the leading rider or second leading rider at Oakland. Uh, it's probably either him or Ricardo Santana. Torres is on his way. So if, I assume he's going to ride at Ellis this summer. That's, uh, he's, he bears watching. And, uh, this coming weekend, I've already forgotten the name of the race, but it's, uh, it's a Monomoy girl stakes. Yeah. It's going to feature wet paint. Versus Hoosier Philly. Wet Paint was the favorite in the Oaks, finished fourth, and Hoosier Philly was on the. Which of course everybody knows she was a pro tem favorite for the Oaks and uh, took some play in one of those future pools for the Kentucky Derby. And she hasn't been much since she won the Goldenrod, but she she did finish second. second. It was a very good second in the Black Eyed Susan at Pimlico a few weeks ago. So now she turns back to the funky one and a half turn mile. She'll be favored. She'll be favored. Tonight, they right should be favored paint. over wet paint. Wet paint six to five right now. I think, uh, and I think, uh, Hoosier Philly is seven to five, you know, and I think with people want to bet Hoosier Philly, they want to believe and the one turn mile off. And uh, I, I thought this weekend's, uh, Ellis was playing t- towards more forward overall, at least when the track was dry. And, uh, might have a pace advantage and wet paint, who I think is a fantastic racehorse, but, uh, Hoosier Philly is going to have the pace advantage. And I'm going to tell you, Hoosier Philly ended up being favored. Just my guess. Four to five over seven, four to five versus seven to five. On that, on that same card, foreign relations for, uh, a guy that, uh, we just had on our podcast a few weeks ago, Connor Murphy is going to run at a mile and a quarter in, in, a, in another stakes and yes. whose name is escaping me again. But, uh, that, that, that horse, that race drew a really good field mile and a quarter at Ellis is another funky configuration. I'm fairly certain they start on the turn and I think foreign relations drew the outside. So he's, he's maybe up against it, but uh, still nonetheless looking forward to that. It's the Chorley wood, which I have no idea what the hell that, where that I comes don't know from. What that is. That's <laughs> something brand. That's probably some neighborhood Brandon used to live in. Yeah. Some <laughs> highfalutin shit right there, but yeah. <laughs> and then just Mike goes, uh, a racer to a really tough field, right? And 
that race is the that's the one she's the mighty bow. He's he's won the race two years in a row. Yeah, it's a good field, but I, there was no reason that horse can't win, right? But and he's up against uh Bad Beat Brian and No uh, Balls. No balls, that's right. No balls returns. That, that's Ooh. yeah. Brandon had that horse in his pick three Derby Day. Won like nine million dollars. Yeah. Seventy eight to one or seventy eight dollar winner. So. Yeah, I didn't have it because I don't bet against Michelle Lovell, but you know, maybe you know, but that's just me and, and just my, but you know, I guess some some people do. <laughs> the pace scenario in that spot's going to be really sticky, so uh, we'll see. We'll see if she can't get it done. Uh, we should mention before we go, we need to wrap this up. But uh, uh, Senator uh, Thayer has his uh, Kentucky Senator Bourbon line that's just released or whatever. Was telling us about it. Uh, I know Brandon's on his way to buy a bottle tomorrow morning. Correct. Yep, Party Barn off of uh, 42 over here by Zachary Church Cemetery. He said they're they're going to get an allotment probably in the next two weeks, so I'll be looking forward to buying my first bottle, and hopefully we cheers uh, the senator at our next meeting. Yeah, you got it. I think we'll run into him at Ellis Park and maybe knock back a few at Ellis Park here pretty soon. You're going to have to make me drink half a bottle to go to Ellis Park, so I'm just telling you. It'll, we'll make it happen. If you can buy seventeen dollar beer, and, and if you can buy seventeen dollar beer in New York, you can go up there and buy four dollar beer. You're, you're such Henderson. a snob. You such you don't you don't belong out here with us country people. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, the times I've gone to Ellis has been nothing but trouble. So I mean, I'm just that's your own fault. It's well, the Chorleywood in them. They got plumbing issues and they lost their power. I mean, what's next? Same right? here. Same with me. I got plumbing issues and I right. lost my power. Ooh. Yeah, who hasn't had their own share of bad luck? Yeah. I've had terrible luck there, so I don't want to go back. We'll see. Let's wrap this up. All right. Take me, I'll go. On behalf of our guest, Kentucky State Senator Damon Thayer, and, of course, Alan Alan Jaggers and Brandon Schneider. Wait a minute. (laughs) Alan Schneider and Brandon Charliewood. I'm CC Broadus reminding you. The gambling money ain't got no home, and we're Mm -hmm. not happy until you're not happy.